Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Bates. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuCare. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Sajil Qureshi here, and welcome to another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview some of the smartest and most intelligent RevOps gurus there are in the in the market today. Uh, today, I am excited to be talking to another one. Uh, he is highly skilled in technical SEO and marketing automation and those sorts of things. He's He's dedicated his entire career, basically, to designing and executing major initiatives that have consistently outperformed target goals. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. He gives back. He's committed to empowering future industry leaders through engaging, training, coaching, mentoring, and professional development opportunities. Uh, right now, he's the Senior Director of Demand Generation and Marketing Operations at Crux. Nick Talbert, welcome to RevOps 500. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so let's uh, let's just jump right into it. So, Nick, in in your view, what is what is one RevOps myth that you can think of? Uh, well, I mean, uh, let's let's just start with the term RevOps. Um, it, it it doesn't necessarily have a set function in most companies. Uh, it's sort of a concept uh, as a whole. Um, so. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of buzz around, you know, I mean, just like the RevOps function in general, but, you know, it, it's, I think the myth is that it's, that it's actually, it, it represents a set set of deliverables. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't ever really represent the set set of deliverables. It's more of like, hey, like the, your, your constant task is to remove the friction to, um, to you know, bringing in more revenue, uh, whatever that friction may be. Sometimes that's, you know, upper market, uh, upper funnel friction. Sometimes that's way lower funnel friction. It's basically wherever, where anything's getting stalled out and it doesn't have the ability to sort of move forward, regardless of where that is in your life cycle. So that's a really, you know, interesting point that there's really no job description or set of requirements, which is fixed. It's more about reducing friction wherever wherever there might be when it comes to driving revenue. So let's say, for example, if it's a hotel, that could be like, you can't, you can't book it online. You can only book it in person. Well, that's friction that, that needs to be removed. And that's obviously going to be different than if, it, if it's a, if it's the public library or in Walmart right, or something right. like that. And, but any sort of, but you're saying RevOps's job is primarily to reduce that friction. So how do you find out where that friction is really? I mean, is there some questions you ask? What do you do typically? No, I mean, like you, you really need, I mean, for to be effective, you really need to measure the entire life cycle. Uh, so you need to understand exactly, you know, when somebody becomes interested in your product or service, whatever you're selling, um, uh, you know, they're going to do a number of different actions, you know, before they get to your website, when they're on your website, when they're getting doing research, when they're, you know, trying to purchase or transact or... And all of those steps sort of require, uh, you know, nudges along the way in order to, you know, help them pick the right behaviors in order to 
like lead them to the product that you're trying to get them to buy. Um, and I think that if you're not measuring all those steps in a in a pretty logical sequence of some sort, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be linear sequence, but it's a sequence nonetheless. I I think then then you can easily see oh wow like to get them to go from uh, you know, knowing about us to wanting to learn more about us, it takes them three months to do that on average. Every single customer that we've ever gotten in, why does it take them so long to learn about our product? Do we not have enough information up, up on the website? Do we not have the right information? Like what's missing from the overall thing to help this process go uh, smoother? So now, now does, does that mean every sort of product and service needs to be E-commerce in a way, or I mean, are, are you, are you I mean, something like that? Or? Not necessarily e-commerce, but it does need to have a digital footprint. That's the easiest way to okay. measure it. Um, it. You know, I mean, so you can, like the Crux, the company I work for now, we, you know, are far from an e-commerce company. Um, you can't actually, you know, transact uh, yet um, to get a, to get an account provisioned, uh, you know, just by simply clicking the around on the website. However, um, there is a process you know, of finding out who we are, learning about who we are, you know, requesting to talk to sales, sure. you know, moving, moving forward. And then the sales has a process to move them through of like, you know, hey, did, are they technically qualified? Do they have the right budget? All of those, those types of things. But all of those have, you know, distinct actions that need to be measured. So whether it's you're measuring how many meetings got set off of a particular you know, piece, or if you're measuring how many downloads, how many clicks, how many opens how many you know all of that stuff has both a you know a number associated with it like it ticks you know uh, in, you know ticks the counter over one and it also has a date stamp so if you're date stamping your entire life cycle you can very easily go through and say okay well uh you know all of these tasks over here are there seem to be moving really really quickly through these quickly. but then they get hung up on like i mean a big one for you know for sales hang up is getting contracts approved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going through the red lines on legal. Like, I, I mean, in reality, from a operations, that's a big step that we don't look to optimize often. And so, you know, I mean, like, if that's the problem, I'm going to go sit down with the legal counsel and be like, okay, how can we speed this up? Can we have templates? Can we have, you know, easier writers that we can sort of cut and remove. Like, how do we make this less of a burdensome process so that um, so that people can sort of swim through this a lot faster without getting hung up? Because those stalls in the process, you know, time kills all deals, essentially, um, at the end of the day. And the more time you allow something, the, you're basically strangling the opportunity that you have in front of you. That is a, a really interesting way of working at it. So as a RevOps person, you could still be involved in you know, contract law and language with legal if it's, if it's creating friction in your, in your buying process. And that is a very uh, unique and interesting perspective. That's a really you know, hot take that you've shared with us. <laughs> so Nick, I, mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, like that's, so let, let's kind of keep going with that, with that vibe a little bit. So you know, now you you've got you probably you know at crux you know you got you got a you got a revenue process obviously i mean sure. what what keeps what what is what is where's the friction in in your process now like what keeps you up at night technically is there some sort of tech, um, something in your technology that keeps so, you up what, how do you yeah yeah i mean crux crux is um it's got it's a it's a niche topic on an already established category yeah. um so it makes it difficult because 
if you just look at us, you know, um, as a whole and try to put us in a bucket, we easily can fit in with all the other data integration providers. You know, I mean, if you're trying to connect, you know, system A to system B and it needs to go through a transformation layer in order to get there, like, you know, there's a lot of providers who do that. Um, but there's not, but what it really comes down to is like, which sets of data are you actually trying to connect to each other? Um, you know, if you're trying to just go from a, your Salesforce instance to, uh, um, you know, Zendesk or, you know, vice versa, like those, there's a lot of companies that sort of handle those kind of things. And that's not really where we want to play. So any traffic coming to us that wants to do that kind of thing is not like, we're just going to say, yeah, yeah thanks, but no thanks. Um, you know, on the other hand, if they're coming to us wanting to have, you know, very distinct external data pieces that usually, I mean, for the most part, uh, finance teams use them a lot for hedging uh, information. So you want to, if you've got a, a pretty big stake in a retail organization, like, had, um, uh, let's say like Home Depot, and you, yeah. and you want to be able to have data to understand exactly how can I predict Home Depot sales for the upcoming year? You can go and buy data that has, you know, um, a location of every Home Depot in the U.S. and how full their parking lot is on a daily basis or how full their parking lot is on a Sunday basis. Mm. And like that will tell you like how, you know, how many people are coming in the door, which okay. basically can like you can correlate a bunch of things that after that about like how that's going to either you know, reduce your overall uh, value of the of the interest you have in Home Depot or, you know, or increase it depending on, you know, what your outcome. But imagine that data for pretty much any investment that you're going to have, that um, that's what Crux manages. And there's very few providers that actually have an established connection with all of those data providers. So what makes it difficult for us is that, you know, specifying what we do and like the connections that we make is is highly valuable to a certain group of people but that certain group of people is not very big uh, the market size is big just because the amount of data each one of those people have to bring on is substantial um and so you have to go in and so like you can't do typical like demand gen or even prospecting channels you've really got to be targeted and go through and like pinpoint a a function to say to be before you even talk to somebody and be able to like predict out yes these this person based off of their firmographics demographics um you know preferences and interests are more likely going to be a higher value reach out than you know the the half of people over here um so that like a like a lead scoring thing that you that you struggle with or it's not really lead scoring. It's basically trying, like, there's no, you know, I mean, like, if you're trying to, I mean, let's take another technology vendor. If you're trying to find a CRM system, mm -hmm. you can go to a hundred different places on the web and read about all the different CRM places. And because CRM is a well understood and well, yes. well tread category. Um, yes. And while there's variations of CRM, they all basically are doing the fun same thing if they're keeping your sort of customers and accounts. Sure you know, correlated to each other. Yep. Um, data integration, on the other hand, basically, there is a whole bunch of different types of data. There's infinite amounts of data that you can integrate. Um, and the types of data that you're trying to integrate and the destinations where you want them to integrate to 
make a big difference on which provider that you're going to use. But that's not common knowledge to anybody else who's unless they've tried to actually build a pipeline off of, uh, you know, if if you're a data engineer and you're trying to build a pipeline off of some random data source that has a API that was created in like, you know, ten years ago. Sure. Um, like you're gonna have a lot of trouble doing it, and it's gonna gonna take you waste a lot of time, and it's you're in a category with like hedge funds and finance folks that like when they need data like they needed it yesterday yesterday and you're telling them no 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 it's going to take me two months to go through and you know cipher through all these get get calls to understand exactly what's going on with this no that's not it's not going to work no so the problem becomes like how do you find that one person that's having that's clearly having a problem when they're not really throwing up any active signals that they're having a problem because they're they're so focused on just trying to get it done. Okay, got it. So the the finding of the right person. Yeah, there's no there's no G two category for what we're doing. Yeah. There's no there's no um, easy you know uh, um, there's no journalists that cover specifically what we're doing, and so we get thrown into categories where we spend most of our time telling them how we're not that. <laughs> Instead of actually talking about how we what we do how do, what you do oh, right. interesting. So it's, it's almost like a value prop and finding the right people. That's what's keeping you up. And so how do you how do you solve a problem like that? What do you what do you do? Well, I mean, you know, like most things, I really revert to okay. So we have a set of clients and we know a set of prospects that do are interested, and we know what that profile looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take that profile of firmographic detail and take that profile back of their you know work demographics combine those two together and find out what are the salient points that live across all of those you know pieces so it may be a particular company size it may be you know um whatever you're whatever's driving them to sort of do that need like are they a growth oriented are they equity you know fixed income you know is the strategy driving the need for data is the um, whatever the leading indicator that's driving their need, you go and look for that aspect Got it. and you try to find a leading indicator in the marketplace that is basically an early sign that they're having this problem. Got it. So one of the things we do is we go and scrape all of the um, uh, troubleshooting guidelines that you know are like online help for a bunch of our the bunch of the data providers that we serve and we basically can bring out we pull out common terms out of that scrape data and then use those as keywords for people like when they're going out and searching so mm-hmm. you know i mean if you're trying to hook up morningstar data and going into like an aws there's a certain set of you know common errors that people make when they're trying to make that that connection sure if you market what those common errors are you're immediately going to self, you know, people by just by anybody knowing and seeing what you're talking about and saying, Hey, I know what that is. You're creating this sort of, sort of message strategy that sort of is a, you know, a, an automatic hand raiser of like, Oh yeah. Like you're, you're going to respond to that and you know what I'm talking about, then you have that problem. Yep. Got it. Okay. So that's how you do it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a very targeted, you know, content marketing strategy with, with, you know, technical, Content marketing, and then and then we're pinging that off constantly off of what, how can we, you know, what I typically do internally is build a a um, a knowledge graph that sits around your ICP, sure. um, and it's basically 
how many times can I understand exactly what they're doing, whether it's on our owned properties, domain or subdomains, et cetera, how they're responding to our email messages, what kind of conferences are these people going to, all of that stuff. So we pile that into a big um, compiler. We go scrape all of those websites that we can find that have any information on that. And then we pull back then, and then we basically do a, a pretty large um, uh, uh, not like a, a, a linguistics analysis, basically, right. where you're, it's almost like you're building a large language model, but only right. specific, the network is specific to your ICP. ICPs. And you're trying to figure out what's the language that they're speaking on a regular basis. And so you're, you're, you're making it so that you can predict what's the thing that's going to sort of like pull them in based off of the data that you bring in and based off of what their, what their job title or, you know, interests are. And you're just marrying those up constantly. But in order to do that, you've got to track and pull in data from a lot of different places because, you know, on one account, you may only have, uh, a, you know, a domain that, that yeah. you're trying to pull from, but you know that, that, you know, this domain often gets um, visited by, I don't know, these lists of I, I, IP addresses over here. And these IP addresses, you can do a reverse lookup on that, correspond yeah. to these companies. Yeah. And so in order to connect the dots to all of those pieces, you need to have multiple connection points to be able to come in and feed that data wow. into, into your CRM. So, you know, you need enrichment data, you need, you know, behavior data, you need all of those things to be able to combine in there. And now, you know, you can, you know, once you start pulling that data in from various places and sorting it and making sure it's categorized correctly, now you can start the puzzle starts to become more um, put together. together. And it may not be a perfect puzzle, you know, 100% put together, but it's a good enough to where you can say, ah, okay, these are the people we should be talking to. Here's the conferences they go to. Here's the emails that they're going to respond to. And then you put that together. And then their response to that becomes yet another set of data that you can optimize to. Absolutely. And how, how do you see the future? Like, I, I mean, this, you know, what, what you were describing is kind of like the, the, the past and even the present of, of Rebels. How do you see the future? How do you see the future going? What, what, is, your, what is your view of that? I mean, the future is just is going to be how can you um, create a, a data set that is custom to your product line okay. um, and that you can then, I mean, it, it, it's, it's what the future has always been. It's just sort of more personalized messages, more, you know, it's communication at the right time. It's, um, you know, in and fixing what they're missing in order to make a decision. Mm -hmm. uh, your audience is, is missing. Something, they don't know all the information and you're trying to figure out exactly, okay, if you had point 0.1, point 0.2, point 0.3, and point 0.4 together, this is easily a logical thing that you should be choosing our product. Okay, okay which of those four points are you now, are you missing? Because you don't, you're not able to easily make that decision. Got it. And I think a lot more of RevOps is going to be sort of dusting out that connection and then feeding that back into your sales team and saying like, okay, this guy, um, the more communication I have with my sales team, I can sit there and say, this guy came in from this, here's his profile, here's his, here's his interests, you know, or her interests. 
um, this is where you're going to interject them. Here's where you should start the conversation. Is you're doing a lot of that groundwork and that legwork so that when they do talk to somebody from your company, it should feel like you've talked to them six times before already because you know so much more about them. And you can go in and be like, hey, I know you're having problems with, um, you know, getting Moody's credit rating data into this. Like, um, let's talk about what, what are your struggles there? And it gets right to the point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sales presentations in general, like if I'm buying new technology, if I'm buying something new and I have to go through a salesperson, drives me bonkers mm. because every salesperson has got like this set pitch that they're going through right. that has worked for 70% of the people that they go through, but they are hitting all of the points. You go through the first slide, which is the introduction slide. Then you go through the second one, which is the, yeah. uh, which is the sort of like, why are we here slide or like the history of our company. And then yeah. like basically all this stuff that you do not need to know right. um, in order to buy their product. But it, they feel like they need to give some credibility into your doing into your getting there. I want the credibility not to be on the story of the company and the like where we came from and like what our aim to be is is like how well can we solve the problem you're having right now? Right now. Um, you and you can do can you do both on the can you do both online, you don't think, or is it really just one or the other? I mean, I think, you know, and I mean my sales team would probably, you know throw me out the window for saying this but like <laughs> i i think there's going to be an increasingly as people as customers just get more savvy the savvier your audience the less yep. they need sales people to right. handhold them through the process right 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 um you know i mean like you know is is if you have a a download and a wizard basically that can guide you through the first couple steps of getting set up into a software like you that eliminates a whole bunch of process and you can do the selling in a much more modular fashion and you can say okay. you know it, it's just like you're just getting more pinpoint with like where the problem is and like that like i said what's that piece of information that you're missing that would allow you to make a decision now got it and and what do you feel like say if you're a a services company or something like that i mean do you feel like having pricing or a purchasing process that doesn't involve salespeople. So are, are you, are you one of those people who says like when all things are possible, try to eliminate a salesperson needing to talk to somebody to do a deal. I, I'd say try to eliminate friction, friction, whatever it is, whatever it is. Okay. So if, if, if it, if the friction is the salespeople can't meet with them until next week because mm -hmm. they've already got a full schedule this week, that's friction. Okay. Um, you know, the salesperson has a territory. And mm -hmm. technically, this one sits in their territory, but they're also in a territory that's seen, like, got a lot of busy right now. So now they can't make for two more weeks. That's okay. friction. So, I mean, whatever it is, like, you should be able to move as fast as you want to as a customer or a potential right. customer right. and through the onboarding process. And that's just simply not how it is right now. You've got to okay. go through checkpoints before you can get your hands on something and start playing with it. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a very difficult thing. I know, I know a, lot, a lot of times we see, you know, tech companies, they're, they're stuck. They don't know whether they should put pricing on, on the, on the, on online or not. And if it's obviously you can't buy it, if it's not online. So sometimes like talk to sales to do anything is like, we'll talk to sales. It's, it's uh, that's friction. It's, like it's, you're saying. It's, it's the default to go through and say, okay, we'll talk to sales salesperson. Now their job is to go through and define exactly like how we want to price this. 
Yeah. When in reality, you know, if you really look at your business right now and you're realistic with it, there is a, you know, there is a pricing guideline. There is a understanding yeah. Yeah. that applies to probably 70% of your customers. Sure. And if that's true, then put that up on the website. Let people figure that out, understand what the row, you know, what the sort of units of, of, of cost are that are associated with your company. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, give them a calculator to sort of figure out what they're wanting to do. Like give them, like empower your customer in order to find that information without having to talk to somebody at your company, because every single time you involve a human in that interaction, it slows down the process. Slows down the process. Interesting. All right. Let, let's just kind of switch, switch gears a little bit now. Sure. Like take, take me, let's talk about you a bit, you know, Nick, I mean, like take, I mean, when, when did you get started in, in, in this, I mean, did you always know you wanted to be like a, a marketing leader, a RevOps leader? I mean, how, how did you um, get here exactly? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I I will I I'm guessing that most RevOps people, they didn't start out wanting to be RevOps people. They sure. just sort of either got to a point where they were so frustrated with something else that they were like, okay, now I just want to dig into this to see why is this a problem? Um, yeah, you know, which is kind of how I got here. But I mean, let's put it this way. I've always been interested in marketing. I've always been interested in the idea that, you know, that somebody, you know, is out there that your product, whatever it is, has a problem that they can solve or, you know, whether that's, you know, the problem is I'm not entertained enough or the problem is I'm, you know, I'm having some complex business problem. Sure. There, there's a solution out there, but the thing that's moving, the thing that's missing between you who is selling that product and um, and the person who wants to buy that product is communication and information. And so I've always been able to sort of like tackle this um, because I, I mean, I love marketing, but I hate advertising. Mm. Um, I mean, I've been at advertising. I worked at ad agencies for years and in the majority of what I would try to do at those places is say, okay, you're spending all of this money on all of these sort of extra things over here. And you have no idea what that's doing for your brand, but it's just assumed that you have to sort of spend that money in order to get that sure. place, which sure. it may be true. But what you don't know is exactly like, how, like, what am I missing in the process? Yep. Like, why can't these people just find me if they have that problem? Yep. And, um, and I think if you thought through that process, there's, there's enough places where you can interact, intersect them in a day that's timing, that's, has good timing and is relevant to what they're doing at that particular moment. And that's where you want to catch them. So thinking better about that instead of, I mean, again, consumer products and B2B products kind of have a different philosophy here and they should, but for B2B products, you know, if you're actually solving a business problem go to where people are having that problem like mm. you know there's there's plenty of there's plenty of information out there to, to to have you figure out exactly what's the cadence of messages that we need to be able to inform you about that is going to allow you to make that decision faster and i mean my background is i started out in agencies i somehow jumped the fence and went into ad tech after i was mm -hmm. at an agency because i was sort of you know, the ad tech's client and they brought me on board. Got and it. then I ran the product marketing team for a global competitive, you know, the second, the second competitor to double click back in the day. Got it. And 
I mean, there is where I learned a lot about just sort of like marketing data in general, just because, you know, when you're in the middle of those campaigns, you get to see exactly how the structure of data and how they're able to record that data and, you know, where the lineage is on that particular data makes a huge difference on what huge you're going to report on the outset. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, you know, this was back when you had to have like on-prem green plum servers and, you know, and, and Microsoft servers that were like $4 million a piece in order to sort of like have <laughs> a, have a website. But nowadays with the cloud, it's even easier in some cases to figure out, find out what those digital pieces are because everything lives, leaves like a digital breadcrumb trail and you just need to build a machine that can pick up on those breadcrumbs and then in and, and deliver a message to where that breadcrumb was left and say, anybody else who's having this particular problem, mm. here's where you can call and let me know. Got it. Or here's where you can download the product that's going to solve you. Got it. Got it. All right. So now let's, let's talk about a little bit more about, about you again. So if you, sure. if you go, if you go back 15 years, 20 years, you know, it's the old question. If you, if you're back in your, you know, in, in a college class, what would you tell yourself in the past that, you know, now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I mean, I would a hundred percent tell myself to go and study root based, uh, market economics a lot more. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, I, it just, everything in the digital world is a correlation of a market that has a supply side and a demand side. And if you can figure out what are the characteristics and the makeup of that particular market and be able to map that out, you're going to have a much easier time visualizing the process that people need to go through in order to, 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 to make a connection within those marketplaces. Wow. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I've, I've gone back and, and gotten like professional degrees in behavioral economics. I've got, you know, a couple of things that I've got done personally since then, mm -hmm. but you know, me as a 23 year old, uh, yeah. 20 years ago uh -huh. was, um, I mean, like I didn't realize how much I would be using somewhat complex economic math in order uh -huh. to di dictate how well we're going to be able to pull in an audience. Um, That's interesting. What uh, kind, of, and, kind of economic math do you use? So you could um, I mean, your your I mean, probabilities is okay. literally the the. I mean, like I live, eat, and breathe it every single day because I'm actually trying to understand what is what what you know. I'm never going to know 100 percent for certain that something's going to happen. Sure. So all I'm I'm left with is a scale of probabilities and. What you always want to do is choose your best probabilistic match to what you're doing. That's going to, it's most likely to give you the outcome that you want. Got it. And, and, you know, layering all of those probabilities together to basically add up to an index of prob probabilities is essentially what graph theory is sort of like based off of. And, um, and then graph theory gets into a whole bunch of just sort of like velocity and vectoring and, you know, and, and how you move that in, in that particular, yeah. uh, uh, market. And, and then you can understand exactly like, what are the, you know, what are the big forces that make moves in this market? 
And it's, you know, like looking at it that way, I've been able to go through and be like, we shouldn't really be advertising to these people over here. They are our customers, but like the influence is actually coming from that thing over there. And we should go set up camp right at that spot over there. And it will just, you know, if we sell into there, we're just going to ride that wave down into the customer. Got it. And what about outside of work? I mean, I, I think we, when we talked before, you mentioned you were a your family guy, you know, you're outside a lot. I mean, what, what can you yeah, tell us have... what you do outside of work? <laughs> uh, well, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. So much of my outside of the work basically revolves around a lot of, uh, of basically trying not to do things that are Paw Patrol. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like, you know, there's a nuts push and pull there between uh, them and us. And, and most of the time they win. Um, and, and so there's a lot of my time taking that, but like, you know, when I do have time to myself, I love, you know, I mean, I love taking calculated risks in my play, uh, whether that be rock, block climbing, mountain biking, um, you know, whatever it is, there's always a calculated risk that you're trying to achieve. And then what your what that calculated risk and the, the potential outcome on that that's how you should be deciding what what goes in your day not necessarily you know what you know what you want to do or whatever it is it's just sort of every action that you take th- throughout the day has some risk associated with it a lot of times yeah. it's it's not intuitive um of what that is there's so many things along the field of economics that basically if you can actually properly measure a model for something yeah. the outcome is actually going oh well it's obvious that it's that but on the inset, I would have never picked that. Um, I would have never done that uh, 100%. Um, you know, I mean, you take you take things like that and you can just debunk a whole bunch of sure. existing, you know, best practices that are not going to be a best practice for you and you're going to waste a whole lot of time doing it. So have you ever miscalculated on a, on a, on the, on a bike or. Oh yeah. I don't know. I've got, <laughs> I've, I, I, if I could show you my leg right now, there is like my, my shins look like somebody took a, uh, 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 you know, a various, um, knife and poked through the things just cause it's got oh, my wow. scars and everything else from just mountain biking wrecks or whatever it is. I mean, you have gear on, you're never going to break anything, but you know, yeah. you do, you do get a flesh wound here and there. Yeah, so I mean that's part of the process, right? Is you know trial and error, the probabilities, and calculated <laughs> risk. Calculated. Yeah, it's... I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> so, so Nick, where where can people find you? I mean, uh, is 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 there a place where where people can can go to learn more about you? Can yeah, sure. You? So, I mean, my LinkedIn. I'm I'm very I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, it's just you know LinkedIn Nick Talbert. Um, uh, you yeah. can find find me there. Yeah, or if you wanted comments. to, yeah. Um, it, you know, or my email address um, here at Crux is uh, nick, nick.talbert at cruxdata.com. Um, I'm happy to answer questions or, um, and then also I I involved in, in several operations groups that, so like, you know, MOPS, MOPS groups and RevOps groups in general, uh, like RevOps 500, uh, there's a, a lot of those groups out there that basically you can get a lot of good advice from and I'm, I'm there as well. Got it. Well, I mean, you know, this was, uh, this was really amazing, Nick. I mean, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, like just how RevOps is different for different businesses, different shapes and sizes. We've talked, I mean, something that we never really talked about before on the, on the, on the show, we talked about, you know, like the, how, how RevOps is really a function of reducing friction to revenue. 
uh, you know, we learned a whole, a whole lot, you know, today. So I just uh, really appreciate you for, you know, taking the time to come out and, uh, and, and, and show us how it's done a little bit. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I, I, I am an infinite geek about this sort of stuff. So like, you know, I'm actually in the process running like a, a, a sync right now and it's, and I can't wait for it to get done because then I can go play with some more data. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're always going, you're always going. I mean, yeah. so look, anyways, I, I mean, if to anyone listening out there, if you, uh, if you learned something today or had a good time listening to guests like Nick or our other ones, you know, please, yeah, just tell, tell someone else about the show. Um, again, you know, Nick Talbert, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, this has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500, and we'll see you guys all next time. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuKit, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.